name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. In a few more weeks, on the night before Easter, Holy Saturday at the Great Vigil of Easter, the Church will gather here and elsewhere to hear again the great history of how God has been working since the beginning of time to do something new, to redeem God's people, to give us, God's people, life and life everlasting. One of the scriptures that's often heard that night and that we always try to use in our vigil here is from the book of Ezekiel. In the scripture, God says, I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your impurities. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. A new heart and a new spirit. That's the promise. That's the promise that comes to God's people uh, when they're tired, when they're worn out, when they're depressed and despondent and can't see the way forward. That's the promise that comes to us when we're, when we're tired, when we feel like we've been beaten down, when we feel like we're almost ready to give up. God gives hope and God makes a promise. Easter is the fulfillment of that promise. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings the ultimate new creation and that whole season of Easter tide, the Sundays after Easter Sunday, is a, is a prolonged, ongoing celebration of hallelujahs and meditation on what it means for us that we have eternal life. This season of Lent looks forward to that day, and we don't miss that vision for a second. And we get glimmers of it. We get little bursts of hope and insight in today's reading. In the scriptures, we get a kind of foretaste of God's life-giving spirit, the spirit of a new heart and a new mind, of a new person. We get a little bit in the reading from Genesis, and we get a close-up in in the gospel. That reading from Genesis reminds us of the stories about Abram and Sarai who become Abraham and Sarah. Our church is gifted with an object lesson for this scripture in our icon of the Holy Trinity over the Memorial Chapel altar. That famous icon in the center often called the Rublev Trinity because Andrei Rublev is the famous iconographer who who first uh, drew it or wrote it or painted it. Um, Ours is a little unique because on either side we have Abraham and Sarah. And so there in the middle is a reminder of that story of how Abram and Sarah are well up in years. They're really old. They probably planned out their equivalent of a happy retirement and thought that they knew what each day would bring. But then they encounter these three strangers who turn out to be holy angels from God, messengers of God's good news, And they give good news, or news at least. It might not have been good at the beginning. 
Abraham is told he will be the, the patriarch of generations to come. And Sarah is told that she'll give birth in her old, her old age. Sarah burst out laughing, probably like anybody might at that age. And so her son Isaac is given the name that means laughter. That's what Isaac means. We'd laugh too. If we heard that God had something completely new in store for us when we were in old age, we'd probably laugh now if we knew exactly what God has in mind for us for the future. We'd laugh out of disbelief or or wonder or nervousness. There's a little bit of laughter in our gospel if we have ears to hear it. I think Nicodemus laughs at this idea that he can be born again. He asks Jesus, how is one to enter one's mother's womb yet again? One can't be born again. What are you talking about? Nicodemus knows a lot. He's a Pharisee. He's well-educated. He's a a part of the, the spiritual and cultural elite of his day, a man of some social standing and respect, and he would have been known by all the other religious leaders and many of the other people. He knew his scriptures. He was educated. He could carry on a conversation with the most sophisticated people of his day. He was nobody's fool. But he was curious about Jesus. He needed to know more. But notice he doesn't, for a minute, follow Jesus by the light of day. He doesn't join the crowd listening to Jesus' stories. He goes at night when nobody's looking. Nicodemus is probably expecting some nugget of wisdom, some great insight or advice from Jesus. But, But what he hears sounds like nonsense. It sounds like a riddle, like a joke even. Jesus says, if you want to know the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Born of water and the Spirit. Born again. Born from above, Jesus says. Nicodemus, we can imagine, scratches his head. He wonders, how does this enter into anything he's ever heard before? What Nicodemus is stumbling upon is that God does bring good news. God does bring new life and a new spirit. But along the way, often there is incredible disruption. We might like to think of the spiritual life as being predictable or linear. We might like to think of this season, the season of Lent, as having a natural course. Often similarities and comparisons are made between the season of Lent and spring in our culture, where we can see signs of new life out in the yard, even though a blizzard may come. We can see that spring is unfolding, and it's tempting sometimes to to go along with the, the movement of spring and think that somehow... This story of, of, of darkness and, and tomb-like death um, resulting in new life and resurrection is just a natural course of events. But it's anything but. For Jesus to die and be raised from the dead is a totally new thing. It has never happened. It's not the natural course. And so we need to remember that The spiritual life is like that. It's not always natural. It's not always predictable. 
It comes in a disruptive force sometimes that can scare us before it can comfort us. Nicodemus is beginning to stumble into this as he asks out loud, what does it mean? What can it mean to be born from above? What can it mean to be born anew? So often life brings disruptions and interruptions and everything is changed in a moment. Perhaps it's a diagnosis from the doctor that suddenly changes everything. Maybe it's the economy or the job we thought would last for a while longer that disappears and everything is changed. All kinds of disasters can change the life that we thought we were living. The death of someone we love can disorient us and can seem to change everything. And so we can feel like we're lost. We're in the wilderness. We're unable to see or hear God's promise. We can be like the people of Israel, stumbling in the wilderness, wondering, has God forgotten us? How can God possibly be a part of this? We can be like Nicodemus, sort of feeling his way in the dark, having reached a certain point in life, thinking that he was doing all the right things to get to a certain point, but then finding it empty, finding it hollow, finding it lonely, finding it empty. In such times, words fail often. It's when the silence can bring comfort It's when one another can bring comfort. If we listen, if we look, if we allow others to be a part of our experience, before long we can notice that someone near is struggling as well, or perhaps they have struggled before. And so in such times, it's it's not as though we need to read the right book or go to the right class or plot the right strategy. It's not about any of that. It's so often about God sending us the right person simply to be present. And often that person has no clue that they are God's person right there for us. It took Abraham and Sarah a while to realize that the three were not just strangers, but they were Stranger than strangers, they were angels from God. If there is some part of us that has known God's rebirth in our lives, if there is some part of us that's ever experienced God's rekindling of God's spirit in us, then there's a part of us that can be a witness to this new life and power of God, of new birth. We can be the person who meets the Nicodemuses in the middle of the night or in broad daylight to offer hope. Abraham and Sarah are mentioned throughout the scriptures, throughout the history of of several religious traditions as great patriarch and matriarch, as guides and leaders. But it happened through their weakness. It happened first through their confusion, through their own equivalent of the dark night of a soul before they find the light again, then they can be witnesses to the light. I had coffee with a friend not long ago, and she was reflecting on the time when she lost her job a few years ago. 
And with that loss of her job, not only did she lose her income, her health insurance, her sense of stability, but in this case, she felt like she'd lost a part of her identity because her job was so much a part of her own self-understanding. How many times a week are we in conversations where people ask us, what do you do? It's tempting to identify ourselves with our work. And so my friend had done that over the years. All that vanished. But then as she thought about it, after a while, she realized that she needed to start believing in herself again. She needed to have faith in herself and her ability to be on a journey, a journey with God. She'd always thought of life as being planned and plotted out as though God had a secret plan and it was just her job to figure it out. Like a a Benedictine scholar has said that we talked about at the retreat yesterday. Um, So often we go through life imagining that that our life plan is like a crossword puzzle. And so we, we need to come up with just the right word to fit in just the right number of blocks. But that's not the life that we live in God. Instead, God gives us building blocks and it's up to us to build something with it. God's already blessed what we build, and God's waiting to see with us. What will we make of it? Where will we go? What is the plan? God gives us what we need to shape that plan and live into it and live out of it. My friend realized that over time, that she was given building blocks she didn't even know she had. Life wasn't over. It had just begun in a new way. She'd lost one identity, but life was inviting her to find a new one. She just had to believe in her own journey, her own ability to navigate this new pathway through the fog, through the darkness, with the help of others, with the help of God. What we can offer the person or the people who is suffering is a bit of our own strength, our own witness, our own support. If we can convey in some way that we too ourselves have known what it's like to be lost in the wilderness and then born from above, born again in little ways as well as dramatic ways, then we can be part of the hope that God wants us to share. Just a couple of weeks ago, we observed Ash Wednesday. And the liturgy and the prayers of that day especially invited us to to relocate ourselves in the, the drama of life and death and life anew. And so lingering from that day through this season, we we acknowledge the places that are broken, then we can begin to clear away whatever wreckage we've accumulated. We can allow God to begin again with us. We can live out the words of Psalm 51, where God helps us to hear of joy and gladness, that the body that was broken might rejoice, that God creates a new heart and a right spirit within us, that God gives us the joy of his saving help again and sustains us with his bountiful spirit. We are delivered from death and given new lives for praise. Jesus says we can be born again, we can be born from above, and this happens again and again and again and again. With God's Spirit, we are even now being born from above.
In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.